Chaz Smith, author of Cocaine Plus Surfing. I'm talking with... Oh, it's actually Casey. My name is Kristen Casey, and most of my friends call me Casey, my initials, which sounds exactly like Casey. So, yes, my name is Casey Casey. But... Casey, so I'm <laughs> speaking with Casey Casey. Totally amazing. That's going to be my next computer password is Casey Casey, and I'm totally going to forget which one is K.C and which one is spelled out. Author of the fantastic book, Rock Monster, My Life with Joe Walsh, who was the what, Casey? Describe Joe Walsh. Uh, oh, how much time you got? Um, so in a nutshell, Joe Walsh is, uh, wasn't, is the guitarist for the Eagles. He was also in the James Gang. He had a huge solo career. Um, and uh, But he's best known for his work probably with the Eagles and Hotel California and all that. And you were what to Mr. Joe Walsh? Uh, Joe and I were a couple. We were together for six years in a seven-year period, and we were engaged for 10 months of that period. Back in the, uh, We met in 88 and um, broke up the second time, the final time in 95. So. Okay, so I have a real serious question. Uh, when Hotel California comes on, uh, do you feel a rush of enthusiasm or or not i have so many emotions well i don't have a lot of first of all i love that question nobody has asked me that question and it's a good one um in fact i'll um i'll answer that and and i'll mention a couple of other songs when hotel california comes on i don't really feel much of anything it's a it's one of the you know greatest rock songs i think ever written but i've also heard it more than almost any other and so i'm just you know i'm kind of over it i'm tired of it um and i don't associate that one with joe as much as some of his solo stuff or um even other eagle songs like when i hear rocky mountain way i will still listen to it because it's it still gets me like it's just still such a cool song that just you know um wakes you up and kind of turns you on i mean i think rocky mountain way is just, I don't know, it's amazing to me still after all this time. And I've heard that one more than probably any other. Um, Life in the Fast Lane, depending on where I'm at on, a, on any given day since the book got published, um, it has less of an impact on me. But for most of my life, whenever I'd hear that song, if I was um, missing him or feeling depressed or just moody, um, that song would just really hit me hard and I'd start to have all these flashbacks. And then um, since the book, though, none of none of them, all my memories have less weight um, to them. You know, I can just, um, it's like I've let them go a little bit. So even the songs don't have quite as much impact. Ooh. But um, yeah, That's I'll usually turn. The, yeah, I'll usually turn the station when Hotel California comes on, um, because it's you know almost boring to me. That's uh, amazing. So wait, so so you feel uh, what that you did you cathartically move through your yes. entire relationship, the ups and downs and everything, and unburden yourself in the writing. So much, I really did, and I didn't expect that. I didn't. Re I don't think I knew that it was going to be probably a little cathartic and therapeutic and, and that I would process even further what I assumed I had processed largely or mostly. Um, as it turned out, I had not processed that whole period of my life nearly as much as I thought I had. And um, through the writing of the book, some other stuff was coming up in my personal life that was triggering those same uh, issues and sensitive spots and vulnerabilities for me. And, and so I um, 
uh, I was going through them in my life as I was going through them in the book. And it, it was a real cathartic experience. It was also somewhat painful and emotional. And um, what's so funny is the, so many of my memories were so clear to me for you know 20 years. I think I started writing the book uh, just about 20 years after those events, after I left him for the first time. So some of those memories were 25 years old, some were 20. And um, they were clear as day. I could still picture them. I could still hear the sounds and smell that, you know, everything like it was yesterday. And um, as soon as I wrote them out and, you know, went through the editing process, and it took me four years from beginning to end and, and you know, polishing the book over and over again, I'd go through it all again on a slightly less intense level. And, um, and then once it came out, whenever I call up those memories, they're so much more vague. And um, I even forget some of the little details. Like I almost want to refer to the book to remember like, what, when did that happen? You know, who was there? What did he say next? Like, and whereas I could have told you for the last 20, 25 years, word for word, how that went down. Like your memory of the, of the events, uh, do you feel like it was ironclad? Like you knew exactly what happened and your memory was an, was an accurate snapshot of, of your time with him? It's such a dangerous um, question because I want to say, yes, like, <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you, like, I mean, just, I read a quote from uh, Penn Gillette the other day um, where he said, all storytellers are liars, yeah. uh, which made me really wonder about, I mean, my, my own memory is so shot. So I know that whatever I write is just like, so basically it's like somebody with Alzheimer's writing. Uh, <laughs> but I wonder for other people, like if you really can, people who have good memories, if you can trust it. Yeah, you know, and, and I, different people do have different levels of um, memory. Like I, my memory's always been really quite good. And in fact, it surprises me sometimes. I'll be telling someone a story. And as I'm telling them this thing that happened or this thing that I read once, it will sound, you know, it'll be something interesting, but it'll sound so outrageous to me. I'll be like, there's no way I'm remembering that right. And then I'll go look it up or I'll ask somebody who was there and they're like, yeah, that's exactly how it happened. It, you know, so I'm, and I've been doing that for years and years. And I, I just, it, also, I know that um, really emotional stuff can leave a more, um, I mean, obviously I'm seeing everything from my perspective and maybe even that moment in the room I was seeing one aspect of what was happening versus what somebody right next to me might have been seeing. But some of those things, because I did, wasn't processing the really painful stuff um, all that well, it was almost like burned into my memory. And I know that as time goes by, those, you know, they've studied this memories change or they morph or um, uh, just the fact of recalling something can change it. I do have my my journals and that was tremendously helpful and I have friends that I was talking to back then that I checked with and I have um tons of photographs that to some degree can you know um uh be helpful like memory triggers um what I tried to do writing the book was write I'm not I'm not one of those memoirists who will use like a composite a lot of composite characters. I don't think I really even used one. And if I um you know, I recalled conversations as best I could. Those I, you know, are, most of them aren't going to be word for word, although some of them were word for word. They they really stuck in my memory exactly like that. And um a number of those conversations I recalled word for word. 
but uh, I think my better memory is better than average and that um, I, I really went out of my way to only write scenes, all the scenes where I'm being very detailed and specific is because I remember it that way. And um, then if I don't remember the specifics of something, I would write about it in a more generalized way. Um, and then there were some conversations where, you know, I remember what was said and how it was said and uh, the words I had to um, just kind of assume this is something like what was said. Yeah. What What's your, uh, what is your writing process? Like, do you, did you start uh, chronologically and just lay it out or... Yeah, how do you how did you go about digging into the past and then and then like yeah, what does your writing day look like even? Oh yeah, I um I I always put together an outline. Like when I'm writing the biggest this is definitely the biggest project that I've written and so I've done a lot of short stories and blog posts and stuff. I don't write outlines for those, but I've written three screenplays and so you know, I'll spend a few days or a week with, you know, index cards, you know, writing out each scene for the book. I, um, yeah, I wrote out an outline and kind of remembered a format from high school or junior high with the Roman numerals and then the letters. Like, so I kind of knew, um, the period that I wanted to talk, that I wanted to write about. I knew how it ended. I mean, this particular story sort of has a natural arc, you know, it's, sure. you know, uh, you falling in love and then the breakup and then the spiral and then the redemption. I mean, it all, that part was easy enough, but I did sit down and write all the memories that I had that I thought applied to the story, you know, that, that, that would illuminate my themes and that would tell the story. And then I also, I wrote down a lot more. Um, and then I kind of went through and, you know, put a strike through everything that, was really maybe a great story, but didn't support the tale I was telling because um, my first draft was 140,000 words. So I oh. really needed to, yeah, <laughs> I really needed to whittle it down. Yeah. What did, how many words did it end up? Do you, do um, you Yeah, it actually ended up, they, they were so good to me at Rare Bird because I really was convinced that, you know, if I was lucky enough to get it published, I was going to have to chop it to pieces. I have some writer friends and they, you know, had me convinced that nobody these days is going to publish more than 80 or 90,000 words. And so I thought, well, I'll shoot for that and then pray for the best. And I think I, I kept getting it down. You know, I'm not a, uh, I'm not Khalil Gibran. I'm not super concise. I can say, I can take three paragraphs to say one thing and I frequently do. So, um, even my emails are just awful that way. Texting is like my worst nightmare. I hate it. And partly, and people who get texts from me also hate it because of that. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, I, um, I had to cut out a lot of stories and then I had to just tighten up my writing. And I think it got down to I think I got it down to like 99, if I recall. And yeah. And my editor even, she said, um, when I kind of turned in the last thing and she came back with like one or two suggestions, she even said, I don't think you need to worry about trimming it anymore. Like there's, I don't want to, I don't want to lose any of this story, um, in your efforts to, to tighten it up anymore. So just don't worry about that part. If you want to just, you know, look at these two tiny changes I'm talking about and nothing else. And I thought that was very validating and um so yeah it was cool it's 350 pages whatever um which is long i mean that's totally a legit you wrote a proper book thank you that's high praise uh, i appreciate that 
what, what, uh, yeah, what are you going to do with the 40,000 words that are on the cutting room floor? <laughs> you know, I have a, um, have a website for this book and it's got a blog. And so my plan was to um, post all of those stories as just like extras as blog posts. And one of them, I think um, the, the Ted Nugent's laundry story, I did post that. Um, the next one I was going to post is about um, Stuttering John, the night Stuttering John was over and he lost his keys and he ended up unbeknownst to Joe and I spending the night in our kitchen. But I just, I've been so busy, um, you know, with my day job and with book promotion and I've got a blog for my um, day job and um, I think I have another blog. I may have three blogs. I don't remember. You have as many blogs as you have computers. It's perfect. <laughs> it's too much. Yeah. So anyway, I've, I've got like six or seven blog posts, but only one or two of them are stories. I've got a list of, I actually have a list, a, a, a legal pad with a list of like 10 stories that didn't make the book. And I've got to just, um, I wrote them out for the book. I just have to kind of tighten them up so they read more like a blog post. That is totally, yeah. Well, that's the Stuttering John one would have would have had been perfectly timely about how what a month ago. When did he do his Trump yeah. call? Yeah, I um I posted a couple pictures of us shooting pool with him and um got his attention on Twitter through that and he said hey and and uh, I kept saying yeah I'm gonna write that story because somebody had for some reason his followers are just so mean to him. I don't understand. It's I guess it's that shock jock culture or something. It's the craziest thing. And um, I didn't really understand what was happening. And so I I told the story on Twitter in 100 and whatever characters just because, um, just to kind of support John. Like, you know, he's a cool dude. We enjoyed hanging out with him. Joe and I liked him a lot. And um, that's as far as I got. So the story is there somewhere on Twitter. Now I just got to kind of write it out in full. <laughs> oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go find it. Yeah. Do you, do you have any angry, mean fans or are your people... Or the people who reach out to you, are they kind, gentle souls? Uh, um, definitely much more of the latter. And this is actually a question that I want to ask you, too, because I'm curious about um, your your um, uh, community or the surf industry seems much meaner than than mine, or at least the people that I've been interacting with. There are, I did get a, a new Amazon review very recently where oh, some guy called me a just a groupie. And, um, and it, sometimes I will see like on fan forums, um, some people, yeah, saying stuff like, oh, this, you know, it's just some stupid slutty groupie or whatever. Uh, how dare she bash Joe and stuff like that. And they've obviously never even read the book or whatever, but I almost have to kind of seek that stuff out. Like it's, I'm not getting um, any of that on my social media personally, or in fact, quite the opposite, like every day almost, I get an email from somebody, either a fan or somebody who, somebody who's even in the book. Like um, I mentioned this one woman that Joe had an affair with. I mean, it was a brief fling and I couldn't remember her name. I just knew her as the blonde woman who lived in his building, the pretty blonde. And she, she read the book and she emailed me. She's like the loveliest person. And um, uh, one of Randy Meisner's old girlfriends has emailed me. And um, so a lot of people who, who are uh, one degree of separation away or old friends from that time period. Um, just being as supportive and complimentary and, and sweet as can be. It's been surreal and overwhelming, actually. I, I didn't expect that at all. That is totally amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, should, I should start writing about music people then. <laughs> I should have an easier go. 
<laughs> yeah, how's that been for you? Because um, I haven't read your first book, but it is so on the list. I can't, I, I can't wait to read that one. But it just seemed like there's just kind of a, a mean, bullyish element in the um, surf community, which I guess, it, it, don't laugh at me. I, I saw that a little bit in Point Break. And um, I mean, I'm from San Diego. I really know nothing about surf culture. I want to think, or I've always wanted to think it's just like very evolved. And, you know, you guys are all a bunch of sort of spiritual giants. And it's, oh, you know, no, no, it everybody, everybody no. is a mean bully maybe <laughs> leading leading the mean bully charge so it's yeah no i i mean i think it's just the way maybe i don't know it's just the way surfers communicate i think a lot of just people ripping on each other maybe so it's just part of the culture which to me always feels fun it's like it's like praise almost in a weird way of uh, just being part of that um yeah i don't know when, when i first started writing about surf forever ago I, it was just hundreds of comments of like you know go kill yourself and stuff like that and i, I always just thought it was really funny and so <laughs> can continue to think it's mostly funny thank god i would not make it a week i would that would really get to me <laughs> oh it's really yeah it's trial by fire for anybody who comes in too that's the dang thing is pe people will soften up and and get kind after a while but f first you got to go through your yeah everybody telling you to kill yourself i guess Wow. Yeah, that's a shame. I mean, I um, it's it's so funny, too, because w when I first started promoting the book, or actually right before the book came out, and I, I hadn't been looking forward to it. I don't really like being in the spotlight or whatever, have like sort of rational fears around that. And then it kind of hit me really hard. And I thought, I, I have some severe, I mean, like, this is going to be debilitating. I'm not even going to be able to promote the book. And so I sort of threw myself into this um, short-term trauma therapy, and it was really helpful. But that's beside the point that at one point I'm talking to this fabulous therapist and we're just kind of uh, shooting the reason. I said something about, um, you know, I've just always been a little bit of an anxious person, anxiety and depression and kind of runs in my family. It's all part of the addiction thing. But I, I, I just said offhand, um, you know, if I had to do it all over again, if I could come back and start over, especially growing up in San Diego, I'd just be a surfer. I would just, you know, <laughs> I would just really, I would just like get through high school and just spend all my time surfing. Like surfers have it figured out. They really, and she, she looks at me, she's nodding like, yeah, totally. And, and that's, that's always been my assumption. And clearly I was way off. <laughs> oh, surfers, surfers are all, every one of them is a crusty misanthrope. A, a lot of us. <laughs> Yeah, awful, awful people from top oh. to bottom. Well, they were definitely cute when I was in high school. I think I lost my virginity to a surfer. I'm not sure. He was a punk, punk rocker, but um, I think he was also a surfer. Oh, that's a good combo. The punks yeah. that surf are always the best combo. Yeah, yeah, he was a good guy to lose my virginity to, too. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> 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 well, I mean, it was <laughs> I, that, that sounded strange. I just mean he was very sweet. It hurt, and he was very sweet about it. Oh, see, look at that. Did then he, he was, yeah, yeah, good on him. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna hope he was a surfer and just mark mark yeah. one up for us as yeah. being being kind and sweet somewhere. Yeah, I got the good one. The one yeah. good one. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So so is this it for you for like uh is this your piece of nonfiction or do you like nonfiction? Will you write more or is is yeah, is fiction more your bag? Oh god, no. I don't I I barely read any fiction, usually literally one book a year and only if my sister really highly recommends it because she's really into fiction. Um, so I'll read 
when I have time, I'll read at least 50 books a year. 49 of them will be nonfiction. Um, and it's usually memoir, any kind of memoir, but addiction memoir. But I, I mean, I, I would read about a farmer or, a, you know, I mean, I would read about a, a, a nanny. I would read about anything um, if it's well-written because I just find people fascinating. But I do read a lot of like musician and, and um, entrepreneur, musician industry, memoir, and a ton of addiction Ooh. memoir. Okay, Everyone's well, you- What's your what's your favorite uh, other besides your own uh, musician memoir? Um, okay, musician. Let me see. Well, this wheels on fire, which was uh, Levon Helms. Okay. I remember reading that a couple of times and laughing my tail off. Um, some other ones that I've kept. Oh, I also have a bunch of MMA because um, I love MMA, and I, so I have a oh, bunch of nice. those. Yeah, like George St. Pierre and. Um, uh, let's see who else is over there. I can't even remember these guys. I wrote a script where I based a character on George St. Pierre. And, um, so for a couple of years, I just sort of immersed myself in it. And I, w- I had been dating a guy that was really into it. So I, I knew who everyone was and I was watching all the matches and now I'm completely out of touch. Randy Couture has got one, uh, blood in the cage is the name of another. One. I've got Quincy Jones's, um, biography over there. Bill Graham presents was a great book. Like th- what I love about that, like David Geffen's got a good um, autobiography or memoir, but I like music industry types and um, like that uh, HBO show that came out recently about Dr. Dre and uh, Jim. Oh, yeah. Fine. Yeah. Like anyone in, in a business that, uh, you know, I love and am fascinated by, but also, you know, who sort of came from nothing and is a self-made person and, you know, what they go through to get there. That always sort of really fascinates me. Um, so let's see. Yeah, I've got a ton of memoirs over there, and most of them are um, addiction. More, you know, one of, one of my favorite, all-time favorites is Elizabeth Wurzel's More Now Again. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Some of the the wives um, and girlfriends, like Joe Wood and um, Chris O'Dell, wrote a good one. Um, I wasn't really thrilled with, um, uh, what's her name, Patty Boyd's, just because she didn't oh, really yeah. go, she didn't go deep, you know? I mean, I don't know. She's English, so she... Talked a lot about like interior design. Like she would describe her and um, Eric Clapton's furniture down to a T, but you didn't really <laughs> get all that much insight into her emotional life. Um, so that one was frustrating. But yeah, I don't read much fiction. I, I'm all about nonfiction. I've got at least two more books in me. And in my opinion, this is just me. I think that my life with Joe is really one of the least interesting things about me. So I've got my next book is going to be about... Um, the 10 years after our breakup and how I really, you know, I'd been suicidal and kind of cutting myself off from everything I loved and everything beautiful in the world and all my relationships and my attachment to everything. And I spent the next 10 years trying to get it back. And, and I was, you know, emotionally isolated and, and desperate for intimacy and completely incapable of it. And so it's more about, um, uh, trying to, trying to get through that and overcome it and, um, uh, and, the, and the best way to do that is by having relationships. But of course, if you're really bad at them, or if you're afraid of getting close, um, you tend to crash and burn a lot. So there's some, it's a series of, uh, of crashes and burns. Yeah. yeah of like, you know, embarrassing, uh, or dating, uh, fiascos, I guess you could call oh, them. Nice. I mean, yeah, peppered with occasional, um, you know, moments of, uh, intense connection and hot sex and, yeah. And so wait, what's your third one then? You know, the third one, actually, I wrote a, I wrote another manuscript. It was the first one that I wrote and it's called Speed Punk. And it's about a year in my life when I first got to Austin at 17, 18. And um, I very quickly got into the um, crystal meth 
scene. And, um, you know, there's a little group of, of punks we called speed punks. And I, um, I sort of ended up, you know, being drawn to the dark side or whatever. And yeah. And I went down hard and fast and I ended up getting abducted and, and beaten for a while and threatened with death. And then I escaped. Um, wow. but yeah, that's, I, I allude to it a little bit in the book. I mean, I mentioned it in the book that that's kind of how I got into stripping and how I, but, and it, so my first addiction, even though it's, um, I go get into the Coke and crack my first, um, hard drug addiction was actually meth at 17, 18. And so I wrote that book just because I, I thought, you know, that story lent itself really good to, um, I thought really well to book form, but I wasn't as good of a writer back then. You know, I wrote it in spurts and starts from 2001 to, oh, I don't know. I pulled it out every couple of years and kept working on it until I finally just gave up and started this one in 2013. Yeah. So I spent like 10 years trying to get it right and it's still not readable. <laughs> so oh, well, I, could think I could give it one pass now and probably, you know, pull it together, but I don't know how many people are interested in a, it, it's a story of, you know, a teenage punk rock, meth head in 1985 so um, yeah but that i mean to me growing up in oregon though like it was the methy punks were always the most interesting ones i mean i thought that <laughs> yeah, yeah. like All i reckon right. it's a real alone. totally i know i think it's a real small town thing right like i think uh, i think small towns around the entire united states during mid 80s you know had had those little clusters of of punks who were up to you know whatever they were doing which yeah, I mean, to me that you, you talking about that totally resonates with with my childhood. So I reckon have to think that lots of people, anybody alive in the '80s, had that or saw it. Yeah, I mean, I it's funny because when I was writing it, I was thinking just sort of, um, I didn't want to get my hopes up about it ever getting published, and and I also having after I got sober and still to this day, 21 years later, I've always felt like I'm 10 years behind. I'm 10 years behind. And so I kept trying to, I got to get this book written and, and finished because by the time I do, you know, meth was kind of addiction memoirs were kind of hot at the time. And meth was, was one of the ones I was reading a lot about, like, you know, there were a few of them tweak, I guess was one of them. But, um, I kept picturing myself like finding an agent and then a publisher and the publisher would be like, well, yeah, but you know, meth is so last year, really heroin is what, do you have any heroin stories? That's just really <laughs> yeah. And I kind of say that to people and they'd laugh, you know, but the, that's kind of the truth. Like everything sure. is about, is about the opiates now. And, and it, it that's not a joke. It's, and it, and it doesn't, it's much more serious than me getting a book published, but I, um, I, people are probably still smoking meth and I think people will always be interested in punks or at least the punk scene back then. For um, sure. Yeah. But addiction is an issue. I mean, I and um, I'll keep writing about that until I die, be, because we're making really slow progress. I think in that arena. My goodness, it's funny when I first are not funny maybe, but when I first started uh, writing cocaine and surfing, part of part of my pl initial plan was to totally glorify cocaine, just because I thought, come on, we can. Everybody drinks, people smoke weed, nobody says boo about those. What's so bad about? What's the difference with cocaine? Uh, but then dig, digging into it, uh, the book at least, just did, yeah, I, I guess I hadn't looked real hard addiction in the eye. But yeah, it's just insidious what, you know, and of course you can be addicted to anything, I suppose. But just, yeah, how addictive, I guess, cocaine is, is kind of shocked me. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because I've been wanting to ask you that. Like when I was reading the book and um, on the one hand, you know, every now and then you you would sort of, 
get on that soapbox and sort of, you know, fight for the almost like, the, I don't know, the beauty of this outrageousness, right? And the, yeah. the, this outrageous act. And I kind of, on the one hand, like, I get that, you know, I was, I was all about that for a lot, a big part of my life. But I kind of kept waiting for you to sort of temper it with, you know, but um, the flip side or whatever. And it didn't come in the course and, you know, towards the end of the book, just the way you fit yourself inside the story and sort of the changes that, that I, I loved reading those parts about the sort of this pushback against being called to write this story, um, to be a surf journalist and to write this story. And, uh, and then towards the end, having a different view on it. Um, when you, uh, sit down with that one reporter that you've given such a hard time yeah. <laughs> when it came to Andy Irons. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, there was a really nice arc there, but it, you didn't beat it to death and it didn't, um, it just kind of happened at the end after this whole story of you, um, moving through this information. And I was just, I was wondering, you didn't talk very much about your use. If you, if you ever once had an issue with it, or if you used it very much, it was more, you were immersed in that culture, but I don't recall you saying that there was ever a time where like it had taken over your life. Yeah, no. It, and it never had, like I, you know, I've used cocaine enough kind of to know cocaine, I guess. Uh, but I don't really have a crazy, super addictive personality. So it's just, you know, like my um, experience with cocaine, I didn't think was was particularly interesting, uh, other than just to reveal that, you know, I know, you know, it's not like I've never done blow, like I know what it is. I, you know, I know how it feels. I know how, you know, how a night on like all coked up feels. Uh, but yeah, I, again, I guess I just didn't think it was my place to rail against it. But in, at the end, I, I really felt that I at least had to take the position, like seeing just the, the the destructive wake that cocaine leaves in people's lives is undeniable, I think. Uh, and yeah, like uh, especially through, you know, Michael Thompson, even the, the founder of Gotcha, like seeing how destroyed his life is from cocaine, more or less. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's undeniable. But again, I, I felt weird getting up on the soapbox and screaming about the evils of it, even though I probably should have more. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think you handled it really well. Like, it's the same with the, you know, music industry, at least rock and roll scene, right? Like, especially in the 80s, um, more so, I would say in the 70s, you know, by the time I hit the scene and started um, using with Joe, it was late in 88. And I can definitely say that um, everyone in Joe's circle I think they were in this weird place sort of between um, thinking it's completely innocuous and realizing how dangerous it is. Most of them could see how dangerous it had been for someone else. Yeah. And yet they also, you know, most of Joe's circle who were using pretty much thought they were going to be fine. So it was sort of that transitional period. And um, I knew that my use was... Um, problematic and Joe definitely knew it from the beginning but but it it was still nobody was really coming out and saying for the vast majority of us this is a super super dangerous thing to do yeah. <laughs> it was also you know but it was also so much part of what makes that you know I'm not going to say like it it feeds or sparks creativity but 
you know, I'm somebody who's lived in a counter one counterculture or another my whole life, and that's where I feel comfortable, and that's where I feel alive. And and a lot of the stuff that you were talking about, the corporatization of of surfing, and like those two guys having the conversation about sending their kids to surf yeah. and stuff, I, <laughs> I so got that. I was like, yeah, we have to. When I was living in Vegas, they were trying to turn it sort of into a Disneyland at the time, and I was like, that's not what I am that's not what I'm seeking here. And that's not no. what most of the people who are coming here are seeking. I mean, go build Disneyland somewhere else if you want to, but we have to, there's this, there's something about everybody, even people who live very well within um, the boundaries of their mainstream life sort of appreciates that there are outliers who are taking it to the limit and beyond, you know, there's something. Admirable about it. Yeah. Like we, you know, there's, um, I feel like it, it's sort of a necessary evil and it's inspiring and it um, it's human nature and um, life would be really boring if we didn't have, you know, uh, uh, outrageous rock stars. I mean, if Joe was, Joe would not be chainsawed. He wouldn't have chainsawed rooms to bits if he wasn't wounded and hurting and messed up inside. Right. So, sure. so um, you know, Coke is just one other expression of that. And um Obviously, we can't take it lightly, but um, there's something beautiful about it as well. No, I'd, I mean, I completely agree. And, and as I was writing the book, I started feeling really guilty about uh, almost needing or not almost needing, genuinely needing people to be bad in order so I could have, you know, I don't know, like something. I think humanity almost needs these not I mean, exactly what you said, needs these outliers pushing the limit all the way to the edge. Uh, and then we all benefit from that, which is pretty rude for us, I think, or pretty rude for me. Like I needed, I need people like you and Joe to be really taking it to the limit. Right. And so I can sit and, and (laughs) yeah, and not necessarily not take it to the limit, but it's just, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's strange. I really felt, but I felt a lot of guilt about that, about fuck, I need people to be really bad. Uh, but then why shouldn't, I should be the one going out and being really bad. I should go get a massive coke habit and yeah end <laughs> well, up in no, the gutter no because we need you know we need people like you who are um sort of the scribes you know people who are um uh, straight enough to observe like like edgy enough to get it you know a little bit you know uh risk taking enough to to get it and understand it and do it but also can uh, step back and attach and and make a written account of it for you know i don't know um for, for, for posterity yeah, yeah posterity um I mean, it, yeah, everybody's got their role to play. We got to have um, the people who are the well-behaved masses and, and then the outliers and then the guys who are, you know, writing it all up. Oh, that makes me, that makes me real happy to have a, to have a role in this thing. That's I know. Funny. Uh, go ahead. Do you, do you like to, I mean, not anymore, but did you, were you able ever to write uh, stoned or high or on stuff? Um, not not like Joe, for sure. I mean, no, but for the most part, no. Like it was incredibly um, stifling and, and um, uh, it, it did me no favors. I think I occasionally popped off something, um, but rarely when I, when I was on Coke, you know, I was just, um, I was so narcissistic. I think I just couldn't, you know, there might've been some great idea or great thread that I could have followed, but I, you know, I, I just wanted to talk or, you know, yeah. you know or, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, so no, I was not very creative at all. Although 
you know, for some artists, writers, musicians, whatever, the creativity, they, they lose touch with it when they get sober. So yeah. yeah, for me, it was not like that. When I wrote this book, um, and when it, all the writing that I've done since I got, which has all been really since I got sober, I did like a couple of poems and a couple of short stories, um, before, but I wasn't really into drugs and I was drinking. And when I wrote the stories, I was sober, like I was not drinking that day. So, um, for me, writing is this very disciplined, um, scheduled thing. When I wrote the book, I was usually noon to five every day. And, um, I might take a day off to run errands or work or whatever. Um, but I could sit at a desk for a couple of years straight, eight hours a day and be one happy camper. Oh, me um, too. That's, that's funny. That's my favorite, favorite place to be in the entire world is writing something in front of my computer. Right. That's so funny too, because I don't think anyone would think that to look at us, right? Like I was, um, you know, I was a stripper for 14 years and I'm, when I got back to Austin, I went out dancing all the time. And I, but the truth is I'm a total introvert and I just want to write and, and not be bothered with the, you know, um, I don't want to have to interact with people more than one or two days a week. And, and just looking at you online, I would think, um, uh, yeah, you'd probably be out there with your friends or surfing or what, like you just don't have that. You don't seem like an introvert, but you know, that's a stupid thing to say because neither, I don't seem like one either. Yeah. No, it's the, yeah, it's a strange, I mean, I, yeah, I'm happy to go out and whatever, but really my happy, my true happy place is just sitting and writing and giggling at myself. <laughs> I, Do, I like I like um, that description, I, and it might not have been in your book. It might have been, but it might have been an interview or something that you wrote where you were talking about. Yeah, it was in your book where you were whipping off a six-minute story for Beach Grit, and um, I was so jealous of that. Like you could um, latch onto something that through somebody texts you something and it gives you an idea and you sit down and in six minutes you have an article that you post online and it's like really witty and funny and edgy and. You know, that, that no, they are, they are very clearly six minutes worth of writing you can, <laughs> in, in the moment. I think, oh, this is real good. And then I'll, I'll go back one hour later and read it and think, ooh, yep. I just posted something yesterday and somebody was kind enough to go into the comments and mark down uh, all of the like massive, brutally, brutally brutalized parts of the English language from misspelling <laughs> to misuse of stuff to just everything. I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, oops. <laughs> Yep, that's six well, minutes right there. Yeah. Well, I My, tend to obsess on spelling and punctuation and spacing um, so much that I, like, I can't, um, you know, I'll spend an hour writing a, a text message or an email to somebody. So um, maybe uh, I should. A, we're a real perfect pair. We should just I know, right? we make our, a great our, writing team. Totally. We should put our workstations <laughs> next to each other and <laughs> just sit there for happy eight hours a day. So as far as um, the... I wanted to ask you more about like the the surf culture and the cocaine in the surf culture. Do you think that, um, I know you wrote this book fairly recently. It seems to me like you wrote it pretty fast, right? Like did, yeah. how long did it take you to write? Oh, I think uh, probably the first draft must have taken probably eight weeks to, yeah, eight weeks probably. God, that's crazy. I'm just used to writing fast. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, and the way I like to write, I guess, uh, especially if I'm going to sit down and work on a book, I really love to start like trying to write as much as I can every day and then getting to the place where I can basically write the whole book in three days where I'll go to a hotel for three days and, and write, try to get up or try to hit 20,000 words a day, um, over those three days. And so, you know, at the end I can come away with, with the real heart at least of the book. Uh, but 
yeah, I don't know why it's a, it feels like running a marathon to me. I really like to get up to that and then just like, just go, just write and not stop. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and I wish I could do that, but I don't think I, I don't think that I'm, I'm wired that way. I used to run marathons and I was, you know, and I ran them very methodically and slowly. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how I write. I write the same way I run, not fast at all. I was going to, I wanted to write a book where I, I, I guess it wouldn't have been a book. I guess it would have been an article, but, uh, not because I've never run a marathon, but I'm fascinated by marathoners. And so I wanted to not train at all, just smoke cigarettes and whatever. And then, uh, try, just wake up one day and try to do a marathon and see how it felt. <laughs> yeah. Um, let me know how that goes. Yeah. I'll, I'll let you know. I thought, I thought, come on, like you, you don't mind matter, right? You can just run forever, but yeah. no, I'm sure I would drop dead halfway. I don't know. You might not do any worse than I did. I have, uh, <laughs> I, um, like I ran one of them and I thought, you know, marathoners are weird. It's, there's nothing normal about running a marathon. And, and most of them, most of us, I think of like, we're trying to prove something or, um, uh, and I was, I think I was trying to prove I could accomplish, you know, finish something or I had endurance or something, but I, um, I ran one and I thought, well, that's it. I'm never doing that again. Those last five miles were just a, a nightmare, just the most draw, long drawn out nightmare. And then, um, my sister, um, I guess, got inspired by me doing it. And so she kind of came up to me afterwards and was like, will you run next year? With me? And I like, <laughs> couldn't say no. So I ran my second one and that's how that happened. And, and uh, yeah, that was it. Um, but uh, there was the second one. There was a guy out there who was running in. Um, oh, God, what was he running in? He, he, some absurd non-running outfit. And he was like running backwards or hula hooping or like and it would just I mean, he must have been in great shape, but he was, and he wasn't trying to make a mockery out of it. I think he had run so many marathons, he just was making it fun. But for the rest of us who were just in excruciating pain by mile 15, we all just oh. wanted, you know, we wanted oh, to kill Oh my goodness. Him. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Do well, or you'll get beaten to death by a mob of, of angry uh, marathoners. Yeah, I would deserve it. If I was, uh, my plan yeah. was to run it in, <laughs> in penny loafers. So I would have, <laughs> I would have deserved everything I got. It was great talking to you, Chaz, and I can't wait to read your first book, which is um, Welcome to Paradise, Now Go the Hell Home. What is something? Now go to hell? Close enough. Now go to hell. Yeah. You don't even have to go home. You can just yeah. go straight to hell. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and then we'll talk again. Um, so I'm Kristen Casey, and the name of my book is Rock Monster, My Life with Joe Walsh. Um, and it's a memoir, an addiction memoir, um, um, also about my relationship with guitarist Joe Walsh.